This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford, credit counselor and educator for ClearPoint Credit Counseling Solutions, and Nancy Lotter-Janderson, associate professor of finance at Mississippi College and president of New Perspectives. In just a few minutes, we'll welcome J.J. Montanero, a CFP with USAA, as we talk life insurance today. What is it? Why do you need it? How much do you need? We'll also take your calls on your financial, uh, uh, personal finance issues this morning. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope that uh, you both are doing well. Um, sort of, just still not quite awake. Is it Monday still, Chris? Um, I'm there. Uh, I was up early this morning. The dog had to get up and go outside, so it was 4 o'clock this morning. Moving oh, around. my goodness. I so, feel your pain. Uh, so I'm, I'm dragging right now. <laughs> Nancy, I wanted to get your take on one of the sort of a financial news story in the news, and that's this thing with uh, Wells Fargo. Oh, my goodness. This is quite a big story. And um, we have to go back to 1999 and the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act. And that law, which was in place since the uh, 30s, really put walls uh, up between the different types of financial services. So banks just did typical banking and lending, and um, they didn't get into other areas like insurance and brokerage accounts. Well, with the repeal of that law, all bets were off. So everybody's doing everything. So if you go into your insurance company, they can sell you then stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, as well as doing loans, and the banks can do all of that. So what was going on is they had these quotas, for all of these different types of accounts, and there was great pressure to meet those quotas. And so employees, you know, it was part of what we call the corporate culture that was bad that came from the top. So they were then finding ways around that, and they were opening fake accounts under real people's names and um, in order to meet those quotas. And so it, it's quite a big story, all kinds of fines. Um, and I think the CEO is probably appearing before Congress today mm-hmm. with the mea culpa. Um, I think he needs to do more than that. But so in other words, they would take, if I had to say a checking account at Wells Fargo and had some money in it, they might have just taken some of that money and put it into a different account well, without I don't, my knowing about I don't it? know if they were taking the money and putting it in there, but they were opening maybe an investment account for you. It might be, maybe they were opening, um, they they might have even been opening an insurance account because you have seven days for that to back that out. So they were doing some of that and backing it out just to have those numbers pop up. So I guess uh, um, the idea is to always check your – I mean, was, would, would there have been any way for the consumers to know what was going on? I don't know, Chris. Would that have dinged your credit record if that was going on? It shouldn't have dinged the credit credit record since either. I guess these are just, a, I'm going to say, depository accounts. Um, uh, loans, I, you know, I, I hadn't heard anything said about any type of loans. Right. But, but, uh, it but I mean, it's 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 identity theft is what yeah, it really yeah. is. But they should have gotten some type of on a, on a statement or some type of notification, some type of balance quarterly. Every six well, months. but if 
if you open an account in somebody's name and their social security number, but you use a different email address, you use a different home address, then you may never know. Mm. Yeah, that's a major no-no right there. It is. Well, uh, as uh, Nancy mentioned, the the head of the CEO is uh, on Capitol Hill today, so we'll see uh, what what, what comes of that. Uh, We're going to be talking life insurance today in addition to taking your personal finance questions. So give us a call if you have a question for us at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. Send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. Our guest today, J.J. Montanaro, a CFP with USAA. So let's... uh, Welcome him to the program. J.J., thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, great to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you would, give us a little bit of a background uh, on uh, for us, on you. Sure, sure. I, well, I'm a, I'm a Kansas City native. I uh, actually went to West Point, served in the Army, and uh, got off of active duty back in uh, 19... I hate to do this, age myself like this, but, or date <laughs> myself, but got, got off of active duty back in uh, 1993 and entered uh, the, the financial services uh, profession, uh, became a certified financial planner several years after that, and uh, for the last uh, 13 years or so, I've been here at USAA in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, uh, spending a lot of time uh, talking about things like life insurance. Uh, if you could maybe give us a, a brief idea of, of USAA, I, I, I believe it's uh, set up primarily for uh, service members and their families, is that correct? Yeah, so USA was founded back in 1922 by by a group of army officers who could not get uh, auto insurance, so they they banded together and and, and set up this company that uh, decades later now we're a full services finance our full financial services firm, and uh, primarily our our target market is the military community. But uh, the cool thing about USAA is is it, it's certainly a legacy that uh, is passed on from generation to generation. So I've I've worked with uh, members of USA who. Who haven't served, but it was their their parent that served or their grandparent. So, mm-hmm. it, but it is uh, that, that that's our, if you would, target audience, uh, the military community. So we're going to be talking uh, to JJ throughout the hour. If you have a question about life insurance, you can give us a call uh, right now. Though we've got a caller on the line. Looks like we have a comment on the Wells Fargo situation from Brian in Gulfport. Good morning. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, I just want to comment on some of that stuff. Um, I actually was an ex-employee with them about a while back, and I, I saw inside as to what was going on and uh, kind of clarify a little bit. Basically, what was happening, from what I could see down here, was customers coming in to say you wanted to come in and open a checking account. Mm-hmm. Um, the bankers were encouraged to open up extra checking accounts. Um, because you're using the same pin pad to open the checking accounts, they could automatically put an application in for a credit card or a line of credit without your knowledge. Oh, uh, that's bad. Yeah, and as you mentioned before, using an alternate email address was the way they got around any kind of statements or anything like that. They just set the statements to email, set them to a separate email, and then there you go. So, yeah, it would ding the credit. Um, Had multiple, multiple, multiple instances of customers coming in, you know, hey, I just came in to open up a checking account. I realized I've got two checking accounts, three savings accounts, and a card in order and a line of credit. Wow. Because of the culture of, you know, every day was how many solutions. The solutions are what they call, you know, your credit solutions or your your loan solutions or whatever. And it was very hardcore when you went in every day. You were to explain every morning how many solutions you're going to get that day, how you're going to get those solutions. And it was just a a very, very interesting uh, work environment. 
Wow, that is really even worse than we were thinking. And yeah. so that goes back to that corporate culture. And I'll go back to what JJ said, and, and you mentioned, uh, Kevin, that USAA is what we call a full service financial institution. And that's because of this repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, which means we offer everything to everybody. Byron, thanks for the call. That's a unique insight. We appreciate your calling in this morning. Uh, This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, talking primarily life insurance this morning, but looking for your personal finance questions. Our guest is J.J. Montanero, a certified financial planner with USAA. Looks like we've got some callers on the line. We'll begin with Jay, who's driving through Mississippi today. Good morning, Jay. What's your question? Hey, good morning. How are y'all? Good. Awesome. Um, listen, I'm I'm 55 years old. Uh, I have a mortgage uh, and a job, and that's about it. I have nothing in <laughs> as far as a retirement plan and or life insurance. And I got a few kids. I want to leave something to. What can I do to accelerate and get prepared? You know, since I've waited so long. Uh, and get it together so I leave something for my kids. Well, um, Jay, I'm more concerned about providing for you in retirement. And yes, you're 55. Um, chances are at this point you're going to live a lot longer. And how long will you be able to continue to work and generate income? So it's really more important for you to start saving for your own retirement. And if there happens to be something left over when all is said and done, great. Um, so I, you know, I'm assuming, are your children out of the house? Yes, they're all grown. Okay, so um, are you married? No, I'm single. Okay, so it's just you. So life insurance isn't critical to you because life insurance is really income insurance. What's critical to you is, my goodness, what? how do I take care of myself? You're right. late in getting started. Does your employer offer a retirement plan? Yes, there's a 401k sort of matching program Um uh but I haven't really looked into it. I, I'm just, I, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm we, entirely unprepared. And when yes. I this program, I thought maybe this, maybe this is a chance for me to learn something. Yeah, you do need to ramp it up. And you're going to have to do double time because you didn't start when you were 20 or 25 years old. Right. And time is not on your side. I would encourage you to try to find a fee-only financial advisor around you and sit down with that person to crunch some numbers to show you how much you can possibly save. You've got, um, you know, maybe 12 years before you'll start collecting Social Security. That person will talk to you about Social Security and what kind of income you will generate from that. But you're still going to have a gap. So that 12 years, and you probably are going to have to plan to work to maybe 70 and delay collecting your Social Security. So you still have time, but that means you're going to say have to save at a much higher rate than somebody who's 25. Right. Yeah. Hey, Nancy, I think that's a great point, and this is JJ. And and one of the things that can be overwhelming being in a situation like that is, is just that, hey, it is so late, and you can look at it and think, wow, that's just a mountain that I can't climb. But But to me, that critical thing to do is to sit down look at your budget, find room in that budget, which is going to mean probably cutting back in some areas to free up space to save for the future, but get started because everything you do is going to make a difference and don't get overwhelmed by the the, the, the largesse of the task at hand because uh, sometimes people will bury their head in the sand as opposed to doing exactly what Nancy's saying is, hey, get things started, get things rolling. And I totally agree with your assessment on the life insurance. Uh, That would be one that was at the bottom of my list in this particular case. 
All right, uh, man, Jay. I sure appreciate that advice, and you hit that nail on the head for me, man. Great. Get started. Jay, thanks for the call. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some callers on the line as we talk about life insurance and take your personal finance questions this morning. Our guest today is J.J. Montanero. He's a certified financial planner with USAA. We've got some open phone lines, so if you want to call in with a question or a comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send us an email. It's money at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford and Nancy Lotridge-Anderson. We're talking about life insurance this morning. In addition to taking your personal finance questions, the phone number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or email the show money at mpbonline.org. Our guest today is J.J. Montanaro, a CFP, Certified Financial Planner with USAA. We've got some callers on the line, so we start again Whoops, sorry. Let me do that and do this. And we say good morning to Jim in Jackson. Hello. My question is about term life insurance. I've seen a product advertised on TV called Return of Premium. And they say if you die during the term, they will pay you the face amount of the policy. But if you live through the term, they return all of the premiums that you paid. How is that possible? Uh, JJ? Yeah, so with a return of premium rider, uh, typically what's going to happen is, is is you're going to pay more for the policy. So so you may that may be attractive to you to buy a 20-year level term. So for those of those that don't know, with a 20-year level term policy, basically what you would get is a policy that had the same premium and the same death benefit over that entire period of time. And so if if that policy, and this is just hypothetical, if that policy cost uh, $74 normally, uh, maybe it would cost $100 with that return of premium rider. So from an insurance company perspective, they're using part of that money to, uh, to, to cover the, the, the potential of you passing away. The other part of it is they're investing it with the idea that even if they give you back your premium, uh, it's not going to be a losing proposition for the life insurance company. So the, the, the core answer is you're, uh, everything else being the same, you're going to pay more for that opportunity to get the, the premium back. All right, uh, Jim, thanks for your call. And uh, JJ, as we go along, uh, define term life insurance for us. So, so I like the way I define it is, is, is pure insurance. Uh, essentially, you, you pay a premium. And if something were to happen to you, there's a death benefit there. So it, it, there's, in the, in the term itself could be uh, annual, one year, three, uh, five year, ten, all the way out to thirty year. But it's a very clean uh, type of insurance. Not a lot of bells and whistles, but a, a lot of protection for, for typically very little money. 
So uh, I, I, I like I like the term pure insurance. Does that oh, make sense? Yeah. And so then at the end of the term, you would have to get another policy? Yeah. So at the end of the term, uh, in each policy, this is something you'd want to look at, but each policy is a little bit different. But normally you would, uh, up until, and it depends on the policy, you might have an option to convert it to a different policy uh, if something happened to you health-wise, but if you were still healthy, you, you could go out there and look at buying a new term policy. Uh, but the idea behind the term, in my mind, is to, is to buy a policy that you're going to buy, and it's going to cover uh, the rationale or the reasons for that life insurance, and then, and, and then you're not going to need another policy. Uh, and a great example of that, and I'm knocking on wood while I say this, is our kids. Uh, at some point, uh, hopefully, the, <laughs> they're going to be financially independent. So insurance that we buy for protection for our children uh, is, in my mind, ideally covered by term coverage because the, the need for that coverage is going to go away when they're out there on their own. All right. You know, JJ, let me ask you, you know, I've come across this with a few people, and they say, well, if I get a 20-year term policy and I'm just it's got X amount of coverage, uh, a death benefit, but and let's say the price uh, costs $20 a month. Some people say, well, should that, will that $20 a month be the exact same for the whole term, the whole 20 years? And so, and sometimes there, it can change. Is that right? Well, with a, so, so if, if it's truly a 20 year level term policy, it, it will stay the same. And so, so, so when they're, when you're shopping for a policy, Let's go back to the kid example. If my kids are 10 years old and I just wanted to have coverage until they were 20, a 10-year policy might be ideal. If I went out and bought a 20-year policy, I'd pay more. So, so the, the, the longer the term, the more you're going to pay over the whole course of that term. Uh, but, but when you get to the end of the term, all bets are off. And, and, and you could be paying significantly more or not be able to get any insurance at all, depending on what's going on with the policy and your, and your health. Got some callers lined up and ready to go. We begin again in Jackson with Frank. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, I've been following the, uh, the makeup of the money supply in this country on the Fed website, and there is a huge amount of money differential between what used to be put in savings accounts that are now going to uh, stocks and bonds, et cetera, et cetera, investment accounts. And uh, I don't know if that's setting us up for another bubble, but with the repeal of a Glass-Steagall, basically the consumer has no place of safety to go anymore. It's all tied in together. And uh, it's a shame, but, you know, we got to get our politicians. Well, I, my, I'm, question, I, I mean, my question, that's interesting. My question is, uh, many, many years ago, we were taught that a whole life insurance policy was not a good plan, even if you look at the, uh, the, the death benefit plus the savings and the interest that was earned. And today's low interest at the banks, are whole life policies now a good deal? I mean, are they paying a higher rate of return? than just a straight bank account, savings account. Uh, JJ? Yeah, so, so to, to me, uh, a whole life policy, uh, you have to start with insurance first. And so uh, a whole life policy, uh, looking at as an investment vehicle, I, I don't think is the right approach. Um, the, when you look at whole life policies that are out there now, for example, I, I have a, a universal policy myself that, 
that I bought like in 1986. And it has an interesting investment uh, opportunity to it because at that point in time, the, the floor on the policy was was 4%. So the cash value in the account could only earn 4%. But but anyway, that's a, probably a whole different story. Uh, to me, I think uh, when you look at all the very uh, very uh, tax-advantaged ways that, that folks can save and invest, whether it's Roth or traditional IRAs or like the previous caller we had with an opportunity to put money in a 401k and get matching contributions. I mean, there, there's a laundry list of ways I would go to, to save and invest before I would uh, go to life insurance. Um, I also want to address this money supply thing because there are two uh, types that we look at. There's M1, which is just basic banking accounts, and then M2, which is a broader definition of the money supply, which includes what he was talking about, investment accounts and things like that. Um, the Federal Reserve used to just look at M1. They now look at M2, which includes M1, plus all these other things, because it recognizes that we're functioning a little bit differently. So I might have an investment account that has stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, but also within that investment account, there could be cash that's basically earning a savings account rate. So it doesn't mean that all of my money is more at risk. It just recognizes I'm keeping less in lower interest or no interest bearing accounts, and I'm starting to use these that are paying me a little bit more, but still may offer me flexibility and safety. Uh, and Nancy, I think I think uh, to Frank's point there. I mean, to me, uh, one of the and at USA, one of our core advice elements is the idea of having an emergency fund. And, and to me, the right place for that, frankly, is is going into that M1 <laughs> arena and a savings account. Because while I may not earn a lot, uh, the, the emergency fund, the, the primary purpose or, or the reason it, we, we want it to be there, all of it when we need it. And so I think there's still, from a personal finance perspective, uh, a definite need and, frankly, a shortfall out there in terms of people who are doing it to keep some liquid, stable cash on hand in case something goes awry. So uh, continuing with Life Insurance 101, you told us about term life. What is whole life then? So so uh, whole life, uh, essentially, you may hear it called the whole life, uh, any kind of permanent policy, variable life, universal life. The, it, it melds the insurance piece that, that uh, with some sort of accumulation or investment type account. So typically with a, a whole life value you, or a whole life policy, you would have ca- a cash account that would accumulate over time. Uh, oftentimes there would be some sort of surrender schedule in terms of being able to access that cash or investment account, but it's a uh, it, it's it has two uh, two components: the the life insurance component and the investment component. And uh, again, from a protection standpoint, looking at life insurance, how much life insurance do I need? Uh, typically, that type of policy is going to cost more, maybe substantially more than the term type of policies we talked about earlier. All right, very good. Let's continue on with the phones. Uh, next, we're going to invite Michael into the program. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure, go ahead. Um, I'm 35 years old. I've got a wife and a six-year-old, and I'm self-employed. So obviously I don't have a 401K option as far as saving for retirement. So I'm wanting to know uh, what what are the options for somebody in my situation who's self-employed as far as, you know, investing and saving for retirement for later in life. So do you have employees? 
Uh, no, ma'am. I'm self-employed and just a one-man show. Okay. If you're a one-man show, the best option for you is something called a SEP IRA. And uh, who helps you with your taxes? Uh, I have my own personal CPA. Okay. Talk to that person and tell them you want to start a SEP IRA. And most people who are just a one-person shop... Um, will usually wait till they get to the end of the year and look at all of their books. And you can contribute up to 25%. And I think it's now, oh, I want to say maybe up to 53000 whichever is comes first, of your income on your bottom line. And uh, you can do that tax-deferred. So there's a tax break for you to put that in there. And you can you're creating your own retirement plan. It's a very simple plan designed for one person shops. All righty. Well, I do appreciate it. Okay. Good luck. Thanks for the call, Michael. And on that on that SIP, Nancy. I mean, could you go to now? Since we're kind of talking about you know uh, products, uh, bank go by bank, go by brokerage, or I mean, uh, either you can you can deal with the bank. Uh, you can contact a brokerage company. Opening up a SEP IRA requires an account application. You have a little extra paperwork that's very simple. There's a, a form from the IRS that basically you just check a few boxes that says this is how it's going to work. The complications come in with a SEP IRA if you have employees, and then that means whatever percentage you contribute for yourself you have to contribute the same percentage for them. So you have to prepare for that. If you start with more and more employees, then you can go to something called a simple IRA, which is it's like a 401k for any companies that have less than 100 employees. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we've got some callers on the line. Sheila's in Jackson and Benny is in Kosciuszko. If you two would hold on, you'll be up first right after this break. We're visiting today with a certified financial planner, J.J. Montanaro, who works with USAA, talking about life insurance, but also taking your personal finance questions. We'll be back with more after this short break. from Kyle Wynn & Associates, an estate planning and elder law firm hosting estate planning and nursing home asset protection planning seminars in Jackson and Vicksburg throughout the month of September. Details at kyle-wynn.com. Support for MPB comes from the Millsaps College Else School of Management, presenting the 2016 Economic Outlook Forum on September 27th. Speakers Patrick Newport and Darren Webb will present economic forecasts. Reservation information at 601-972-1254. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Chris Burford and Nancy Lotter-Janderson. Our guest today, J.J. Montanaro, a certified financial planner with USAA as we discuss life insurance. We've had some folks that have been waiting for a while, so let's go directly to the phones, beginning with Benny and Kosciuszko. Benny, you're up. Go ahead, please. Hi. Good morning. Morning. Um, I'm calling. I didn't get the beginning of your show, so hopefully I'm not repeating. 
but I'm trying to decide if this last life insurance policy I purchased is something that I need. I um, had three life insurance policies already, and I just bought one, another one last year. And because of my age, which is 65, I'm paying about uh, $2,800 a year for that policy. Um, my, the reason that I have all of these policies is I wanted to leave something for my children who are grown adults, and if that's something that I really need to do. Uh, JJ, any thoughts? Yeah, I'd go back to uh, what Nancy was saying earlier uh, on a similar question that uh, that, that may be just fine, but but I would I would make sure that my own ducks were in a row with my, with your your own personal finances and your retirement. So I think it's great that you're you're thinking about the kids and leaving a legacy, but but that would be uh, in terms of deploying your resources and and our resources are always limited. I would make sure that uh, everything was okay uh, from where you stand with your own savings and, and your own retirement goals. And I would say, Benny, remember, life insurance is income insurance, is to protect that income that would be lost. Your children are grown. They are no longer dependent on your income. And so you would be better served by putting that money aside and saving for yourself that could be used for your own care. And then whatever is left can go to them when you're gone. All right, Benny, thanks for your call this morning. Let's uh, continue on. Next, we have Sheila on the line from Jackson. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. Go ahead. I, I have a question about life settlement. Um, a couple of years ago, probably about four years now, um, I sold my expiring term life insurance, and it was sold through something called a life settlement. And as a blood cancer survivor, um, I have diagnosis that they, you know, you have to have a certain diagnosis for for uh, this to occur. Basically, they do a projection on your life expectancy and purchase your life insurance policy from you. They become the owner and the beneficiary. And so I I am currently, you know, I'm now uninsurable as far as term policies are concerned. I could have converted it to whole life, but it was the cost of it was going to go up exponentially every year. So I sold it for 40 cents on the dollar and so it was a good thing for me but I had a really hard time finding anybody even in this area that knew what a life settlement was but I, I eventually went through a licensed insurance broker and it was it was a very good thing but I just thought you might want to tell people about that because nobody even in the industry knows about what a life settlement is. All right Sheila thanks for the call. JJ uh, comments there. Yeah, no, I think that, that that Sheila brings up a great point in terms of people that have been holding on to life insurance policies for, for their lifetime and, and are sitting there at a point and getting to where what we just talked about uh, with Benny, that, hey, may, do I need this policy more? Does it make sense? Uh, and if it doesn't make sense, uh, then then that's, that's an option to at least explore. Uh, because Sheila, I think, did a great job of explaining. Essentially, what you have is somebody is, is, is going to come in and, and buy your life policy from you because they're making a bet that uh, ultimately if they're the owner of the policy and the beneficiary, if something happens to you, if you die, they're going to benefit from that. And so they're going to pay pay you a premium for that. And, the, and clearly, the, the sicker you are, the, the less life expectancy you have, 
the potentially bigger payoff for you as the current owner of that life policy. So, so to me, it's not necessarily a golden goose, but it's certainly an avenue to explore before you just, for example, cashed in a life insurance policy. It, it's a little creepy, the whole idea of um, <laughs> because because people who are buying this are counting on you dying sooner rather than later. But it does offer some assistance for somebody who might be in position of that's life insurance. That's great. It's going to be there when I'm gone. But I need some help right now. And so there are options to do that. Um, but as she mentioned, you have to have certain diagnoses before somebody will consider because, again, they're placing a bet that you're going to die sooner, and they will then benefit from that. And if, if, that, if you're in that sort of situation, you certainly want to look at your policy, because a lot of policies come with what's called an accelerated benefit rider. So you, your policy may have some provisions right now without having to sell it that might benefit you. So you, you certainly want to explore all your options. Okay. Uh, we'll go next to uh, Van Cleve. We invite Miss Lee onto the program. Good morning. Go ahead. Are you on the air? Go ahead. All right, we put you back on hold. We'll see if we can't get that uh, caller lined back up. In the meantime, Kathy's gone the line from Vicksburg. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. What's your question? Uh, can, will you all discuss this, uh, the life insurance retirement plan, the LIRP, just the pros and cons, a couple of them with that? Okay. Uh, JJ, are you familiar with the LIRP? Uh, life, I am, I am not. Okay. <laughs> I would, I would say oh. that some people, um, use life insurance as part of their retirement plan. And I usually discourage that. And I think JJ has already spoken to that where you want to keep your investment separate from your life insurance. And, um, so use life insurance to protect that income while someone is still dependent on your income and then save for retirement outside of that in regular, uh, brokerage or mutual fund accounts or retirement type accounts. All right. Uh, Kathy, do, uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, are you involved in that program uh, through your employer? Well, I just, I mean, I've heard it offered and I guess basically, uh, I, I hear that as far as it has tax advantages too. Uh, just as far as when it comes to the retirement plan part, when it comes to time for retirement and you're withdrawing from this account, if you're putting, uh, of course, like she said, it has the options of life insurance and retirement, but uh, it, it, your goal is you really want it for retirement more than life insurance. And when it, when you uh, draw off of this account, draw these funds, it's not taxable. Okay, that sounds to me like you, you're really just that, – that somebody is calling a life insurance policy a life insurance retirement plan. So, so essentially what you have is a life insurance policy, and whoever is talking to you about it or wherever you heard it is, is promoting it as a vehicle that could be used to retirement. And, and I would default back to what Nancy and I talked about already. Okay. Which, which would say run. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kathy, thanks for your call. Let's uh, go next. Uh, Linda's on the line from Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Yes, I have a question. Uh, I um, I currently have uh, an insurance through a burial, uh, a funeral home. Okay. Now, um, but however, uh, it coverage is only five thousand dollars. I have seen too many people uh, around here in different places who passed and has had no insurance to cover funeral or 
uh, less insurance. Uh, what do you suggest uh, in terms of a supplemental insurance in the event, you know, something happens? Well, I, I would suggest, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of barrel insurance. I know a lot of people like to do it um, because it, it is easier on the family when everything is already set up and you know exactly what's going to happen and you have made your wishes known. Now, you can do that on your own. Um, if you already have a barrel insurance policy but you're concerned it might not be enough, I would just say, have a bank account that you're accumulating money in, and you might want to put some beneficiaries on that account so if something happened to you, they could very quickly get that money and use it to cover those expenses. All right, Linda, we appreciate your call. JJ, any thoughts on that call? Yeah, no, I think the, the the beneficiary on the bank account, so with a bank account that's typically called payable on death, and, and the neat thing about that is it doesn't give them any rights or ownership while you're alive, but once something happens to you, it, it transfers automatically to whoever that beneficiary is. And, and I think, that, that to me, Nancy hit on a key point there, is the, the less the more guidance that you can give and the more direction that you can provide to, to your family, the, the fewer problems you're going to have. And, and part of it's financial, but a, a lot of problems I see are really <laughs> go to things that might seem silly, like personal property, who's going to get that knickknack or this knickknack. And, and so I think uh, my experience has simply been, as I work with clients, is to make sure that they leave really detailed guidance to, to help avoid problems once they're gone. All right. Uh, we've got Lee back on the line from Van Cleve. Lee, go ahead. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, sorry about the last call. Um, the question is for the USAA agent. I'm an ex-Vietnam veteran. I probably qualify for a USAA policy or an investment, whatever. But what about my sons who are not have, have not been active military? Can they also enroll? Yeah, so so the, uh, like I said earlier, it, it is truly a legacy. What what has to happen for them to be members is you have to you have to join. So so you can join. Uh, there, there are a lot of products and services USA offers that anyone can use, but but when it comes to to membership, we're talking about property insurance is the primary one, like home, auto. Uh, a renter's policy, a valuable personal property policy. But but the bottom line to your answer is once you establish membership, that passes on to your kids and to their kids and their kids. So so if you're interested in looking at USA, uh, give us a call. And and, uh, and 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 really our only line in the sand is if if you honorably serve, then you can join USAA, and, and that would open it up for your kids. But but you would have to open the door for them. All right. All right that's, that's simple. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we've got a couple calls on the line. We're visiting today with J.J. Montanaro, a, cer- a certified financial planner for USAA. We've been talking about life insurance as well as taking some personal finance questions this morning. We do have some open phone lines and still time to work in a question at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back with more after this break.
The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Kevin Farrell, Assistant Director of MPB Think Radio. Our recent drive time is history, and the results are, well, amazing. We challenged you to step up with your financial support, and you responded, contributing $81,000 in just one day. We'll use the money to help keep quality radio programs on the air. We want to say thanks to everyone who contributed, and thanks also to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly support. We value this unique partnership, and we can't do it without you. Thanks again. I'm Jeremy Hobson. As our series on climate change continues, what about the politics? Some politicians won't accept the science, but it turns out voters' attitudes are changing. People tend to want to reduce greenhouse gases if you ask them, uh, and, and they tend to say that they would be willing to pay a little bit to do that, too. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Chris Burford and Nancy Lotridge-Anderson visiting today with our guest, J.J. Montanaro, a certified financial planner with USAA. We've been talking about life insurance as well as taking some of your personal finance questions. Back to the phone lines we go. Kathy's called in. Kathy, sorry to drop you off before your next question. What did you uh, have to ask us this morning? I caught part of the conversation. Um, I was just kind of tuning in when you all were talking about the young man that said he was just a one-man show uh, as far as self-employment. Will you touch bases a little bit um, for a person that may have uh, four or five employees and want to at least, you know, mention some type of retirement that they can check into? Yes, you can do something called a simple IRA plan, and uh, it is designed for small employers who do, do have employees, and it is a salary deferral plan, so they can choose to take money out of their um paychecks and put into a retirement plan, you can match a portion of that. So you have some options to match a portion or not match, depending on, you know, a few boxes that you check. But it's for those small employers who want to offer something, but they don't have enough employees to warrant the expense and the setup for a 401k. Okay. And now with that being said, I did hear you say that you have the, well, the employer has the option of matching. Right. Okay, so how would this basically work? If if just say that I mean I do I have somebody that do the payroll, mm-hmm. would they they could just uh, deposit those funds for them, and once they're done and they well, move on to another employer, how would that affect them? Well, you need to um, actually work with a financial advisor uh, okay. or a broker and get these accounts set up. Every employee would have their own separate account, okay. and then each employee is going to decide: Am I going to participate or not participate? And most of the time, we encourage a match up to 3%. So if you have an employee who who puts in 3% of their salary, then you as the employer would also match up to 3%. That's the typical. And okay. um and then they they are offered a set of mutual funds they could choose from. Whoever is doing payroll would then make sure this is the portion that is 
that comes from the paycheck. This is the portion that's the employer match. And they would then forward that to the financial institution who then has instructions about whose account that goes into. And then once that employee leaves, if they go to another place, it's still their money. So as soon as that money goes in, they are what we call fully vested. They own all of it, even any match that goes in. And they can then basically take that with them and do whatever they want to with it. All right, Kathy, thanks for your call. we got two final calls. Let's see if we can work these in before the end of the hour. We'll start uh, with uh, James in Water Valley. Go ahead, James. Well, I had a, a, a question for uh, J.J., uh, even though he's a financial planner, uh, he worked for an insurance company. And that is uh, uh, insurance. Isn't all insurance just paying someone to take some of your financial risk? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, insurance, when, when when you say insurance, the word to insurance, it, it, uh, there's different words that resonate with people. But to me, it's uh, it's about protection. And so when when you buy an insurance policy, you're essentially buying protection that you need. And so a lot of times, um, it, that, for example, for a young family just starting out, we're talking about life insurance today. Well, the reason they need uh, they or may need significant life insurance is because they haven't had time and they haven't built up the resources. Uh, to take care of of the of the family if something should happen to them. So I think to me, life insurance is all about taking care of the ones we love. And uh, in this particular case, you're exactly right. It's 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 taking care of a risk that right now we have don't, don't have the capacity to take care of if something happens to us. Well, so I uh, I, I enjoy reading your your column in, in the magazine uh, uh, occasionally. Oh, thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Hey, James, thanks for the call. Let's uh, see if we can work one final call in, and it goes to John in Memphis. Go ahead, John. You're on the air. Hey, guys. Um, I am 34. I have a USAA term life insurance policy that is set to expire in a couple of years. I have two kids. And I'm curious, is there any financial benefit in renewing it now or waiting until it expires? And if I do renew it, um, should I try and renew it for a, a lengthier time than 10 years? Yeah. So, you want me to start there? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, yeah. So, so I think this is JJ, and and I and I think that uh, it, to, to me that the first place to start it would be to spend a few to, few minutes with a life insurance calculator. There's one at lifehappens.org, or for you at USA, if you go to usa.com forward slash life. And, and so the calculator to me will help you answer the most important question: is how much coverage do I need? And so it may be, I don't know where you're at, and there's a lot of different variables that go into that, including what you've accumulated and, and how old the kids are and what you want to try to accomplish with them. But I'd start there, take a look at our calculator, figure out what the right amount of insurance is, and then move forward from this point. I mean, the, the risk in terms of not uh, of waiting until the very end is if, uh, God forbid, something should happen where you – uh, with your health between now and then, if you still need, know you're going to need that umbrella of coverage out for the next 10 years or, or 20 years, then it would make sense to look at it with, with only two years left on your current uh, contract. All right, John, thanks for your call. Uh, JJ, we've got about a minute left, so maybe some, some basic tips if someone's in the life insurance uh, looking for it. Uh, uh, what are some things that they should do to get started? I think you, you just touched on one of them is to kind of determine uh, you know, what, how much you need, and that's based on your situation in life, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, there are calculators out there that will help people. I mean, this it's Life Insurance Awareness Month, and I'm sure everybody was aware of that because that's on all of our calendars, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But the reality is, is there's almost 60% of households out there don't have life insurance. And I guess the message I'd want people to hear is that, uh, it, frankly, when you talk, when you look at term insurance, the level of term insurance that we've talked about a lot today, it it does not typically cost a lot for somebody to get the protection they need. So, so I hope the discussion we've had today just causes people to look at their own situation and determine, hey, am I in the right place here? And, and I, I've got to believe that with nearly 60% not having coverage, that there's a lot of folks out there that don't have the coverage they should have to protect the ones they do love. And I guess it's a fairly competitive market, so uh, shop around to try to get the best deal. Definitely. Look at the financial strengths of the companies you're looking at, and certainly shop and compare. Because uh, with any big purchase, and this is a big one, you want to, to make sure you do it right. All right. Great uh, advice uh, this morning, J.J. Thanks for joining us. That is going to wrap us up today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners, and what generous support you did give us last week. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, one way that you can find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash talks. Our show was produced today by Sam Wells, and our call screener was LaShawn Patton. So for Nancy Lodger-Janderson, Chris Burford, and our guest J.J. Montanaro, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's In Legal Terms. That's followed at 11 by Relatively Speaking. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.